What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week's episode is entitled, Pearls Are a Brave's Best Friend. And I have chosen that title for two reasons. 
The first is because the Braves won the World Series back in 2021, which I know feels weird to say because 2021 was only a couple of days ago, but technically we are now in 2022 at the time that you're listening to this, so uh, I can say that the Braves won the World Series uh, back in 2021, and obviously there was the big story surrounding that, which was uh, Braves outfielder Jock Pedersen, who was spotted wearing a pearl necklace during the postseason games and it got to the point where they were winning so he kept wearing the pearl necklace and almost every diehard Braves fan out there was wearing a pearl necklace. In fact, uh, Herman from Dunwoody, for those of you uh, regular guys fans out there and I'm sure there's a lot of you since uh, I was on the regular guys for many years um, you know, Herman from Dunwoody was another character on the show and he uh, took a picture of Larry Wax uh, wearing a pearl necklace at his desk at the uh, mortgage uh, company that both of them work for and you know he was talking he was showing Larry in the pearl necklace and I jokingly said who gave him the pearl necklace you know trying to be funny but not knowing at the time that there was this superstition going on because I'll be honest I don't really follow Major League Baseball anymore and I had no idea about the pearl necklace situation but once I learned it I understood it you know superstition is a big part of sports I mean back when I wrestled in high school I had this gold ring that I used to wear that was clearly fake. In fact, it was so fake every time I wore it, the uh, ring around my finger at the bottom would always be uh, green. My finger would turn green uh, every time I wore it, but I didn't fucking care because it brought me good luck when I was wrestling because I won a bunch of matches when I was wearing that ring. So I understand superstition in sports. So, you know, you keep that shit going because you want to win. And obviously the Braves did win because in game six, uh, the Braves beat the Astros seven to nothing and won the series four to two and definitely was a hell of a great game. Uh, I actually got to watch the game over at uh, uh, Buff's house. I was It was me, Buff Bagwell, and a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ken uh, Harper. Uh, he was watching the game with us and the three of us just ate Pizza Hut, watched the game, had a hell of a time and enjoyed seeing the Braves finally win a World Series for the first time since 1995. Now, as I mentioned before, I don't really watch a whole lot of baseball, but there are two teams that I am a huge fan of, and that is the New York Yankees and the Atlanta Braves. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, it sounds weird to a lot of people because apparently Braves fans hate Yankees fans, but as someone who's been a Yankees fan since birth, uh, let me just tell you, it's a one-sided rivalry. Yankees fans really don't have anything negative to say about the Braves. We have no issues with you. We have no quarrels with you. We could give a fuck less about how the Braves do. It's a totally one-sided thing. As a Yankees fan, I was trained to only hate one team, and that team was the Boston Red Sox. So as long as you don't worship the Boston Red Sox, we can get along just fine. And here's the thing. Even if you do, in 2021, I really don't give a shit. You know, I I have plenty of friends who are Red Sox fans because I just stopped obsessing over baseball a long time ago. Now, don't get me wrong. If the Yankees ever go back to the World Series, I'll cheer for them. But outside of the World Series, I don't really watch a lot of baseball. But I was also a Braves fan. And I became a Braves fan just for the simple fact that I lived in Atlanta. I got to go to a lot of Braves games. And I wanted to support the team. But I'll be honest. I had another reason that I wanted the Braves to win this game outside of being a Braves fan. 
And that was the incident that went down at the beginning of this past baseball season. And that was when Georgia lost the All-Star game. Because originally at Atlanta, we were supposed to be hosting the MLB All-Star game. But the MLB teamed up with the biggest, cuntiest, sore loser in the history of politics, Stacey Abrams. And they basically took the MLB out of Atlanta because of the voting rights bill that was passed in Atlanta or or was going to be passed. I, I honestly have no idea what's happening with the bill, but I think that uh, we were either going to pass it or we did pass it. I, I'll be honest, I haven't really been following it, but apparently it's a law that's going to state that you have to have an ID in order to vote. You have to show your ID if you want to vote for president or Congress or senators or any politicians, whatever the fuck, all the stuff that's on the ballot box. And apparently people thought that it was wrong wrong, which I doesn't make sense to me at all because you have to have a license or an ID to do pretty much fucking anything in America. You need a license to drive a car. You need a license to buy cigarettes. You need a license to buy beer. There's a lot of things you need a license for anyway. So the fact that we need an ID to vote pissing people off doesn't make sense. And then at one point, someone tried to say it was racist, which I thought was fucking stupid. And I remember Elvis and I looked up the voting rights bill and got like the details on it and we read them verbatim on the show and neither one of us could find a single damn thing that was even remotely racist about this fucking bill if you're trying to tell me that people can't afford to get ids i don't buy it if you can get a license to drive a car you can get a license to vote simple as that so no i i don't think it's racist and i thought the whole thing was fucking stupid but either way we lost the all-star game so when we got to the world series it was bittersweet because now the mlb has no choice but to host at least a portion of the World Series in Atlanta. Now, granted, there would be other games hosted in Houston, and the Braves were in Houston when they won the World Series, but apparently at a SunTrust Stadium, which I think is now Truist Stadium, if I'm not mistaken, um, a lot of fans went over there to see the game on a monitor. Some watched it in the stadium, some watched it outside the stadium, but either way, uh, people were excited to be there and see this historic event, the Braves winning a World Series for the first time since 1995. But what was great about it was we brought the World Series trophy to Atlanta. That's why I posted on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and I think I even posted on Twitter, how excited I was. And I said, you know, this was a great moment for Atlanta, and it was a fuck you to the MLB and Stacey Abrams. And I said, keep the All-Star game. We're happy taking this. And we did. And that's why I loved it. It was a giant fuck you to the libtard snowflakes. And as you know, here on the Boochcast, we love to do three things. We love to entertain, inform, and piss off the liberals. And that World Series did all three. Now, that was the first reason that I chose the title. And I know some of you are thinking, Booch, that was a very long first reason. Yes, the first reason was long. The second reason I chose that title is because another thing that I want to do on the Boochcast this week is take a look back at 2021. And as you guys know, that's something I love to do either at the end of the year or the beginning of the year, uh, the following year, I should say, uh, is I like to take a look back at the good and the bad uh, of 2021, at least for me. You know, it, it reminds me of 
you know, how far I've come and how some things have changed. A few things stayed the same. But I had an epiphany while I was doing this. I went through this whole process and I had an epiphany. And here it is right here. This is the first year since 2006 that I haven't worked in retail. Let that sink in for a minute. I've been doing comedy. I've been in entertainment for 15 years. I worked in retail for 13 of those years. The only two years that I did not work in retail were 2006 and 2021. And the reason for that was because when I started doing comedy in 2006, I was in my second year of college when I was when I made the decision to do this. And in the summer, I was working as a yard laborer that summer at John Deere Landscapes. And I did that for a whole summer. And I only planned on doing it in the summer because they were closed on Sundays. Saturdays, they were only open for four hours. So it wasn't worth the time and it wasn't worth the money. And I couldn't work weekdays because I had to be in school. So I signed up for seasonal summer help. And I was going to work for the whole summer. Then I was going to go to school. And then when the school year was over, I was going to come back and work again in the summer. I had planned on doing that. However, when I went back a year later for the summer, I realized I, they weren't going to let me come back because they were no longer hiring seasonal help. If I wanted to work there, I'd have to be either permanent part-time or permanent full-time, and I couldn't work those hours because I was in school. So that's when I ended up applying to the Home Depot and getting a job there, and that's when I ended up working at Home Depot from July 9th, 2007 to April 23rd, 2017, and then I quit and went to Lowe's, and I worked at Lowe's from May 8th, 2017 to July 12th, 2020. So that's how that happened. So during, I started my doing comedy in 2006. I was in my second year of college. So I wasn't working anywhere. I just went to school and that was it. I would go to school and I would do some comedy and then I would come home. And that was my schedule in 2006. And because at the time in 2006, there weren't a lot of options in Atlanta to do comedy. I wasn't going on stage like every single night. I was hitting certain clubs here, going a couple times a month, just trying to, you know, learn and perfect my craft while also going to school. So I had to juggle everything. So that's that was the issue there. So that's why I didn't work in retail during that first year. And then obviously I didn't work in retail this year because after I quit Lowe's uh, in July of 2020, I was making good money at HVMA and I still am making good money at HVMA. In fact, I'm making more money now at HVMA because my hours have been upped tremendously, but I was making good enough money to where I didn't have to go get another job. And then obviously once I started uh, uh, you know, working with Buff Bagwell, that also upped my income. And now I don't have to uh, work in retail because I'm doing well financially. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't want to do better. Obviously, I do. Obviously, I want to make more money. Obviously, I want to, you know, keep striving to make my career uh, bigger and better. I got a lot of, uh, you know, things that I want to do. But for the first time in a very long time, I actually get up, I go to work, and I'm happy. I have two jobs that make me happy. Even though from time to time, they might still stress me out. Like, I'm, I have my bad days like everybody else. In general, I am happy at both my jobs. And my life is actually pretty fucking cool now. And I and I have dreamed of that moment for my whole life. And finally, I've gotten to the point where I am actually happy when I wake up in the morning. I'm happy when I go to sleep at night. And I'm happy in between. 
And, you know, there was a time where I never thought I would feel that level of happy because working in retail is one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. You know, even though the money was good and, you know, some of my coworkers were cool, just dealing with the customers every day and, you know, dealing with bosses that were a pain in the ass. Some of them had no business being my boss or being the boss of anyone because they absolutely sucked at it. You know, it was just a fucking nightmare. And when you're dealing with shit like that day in and day out, especially when you're dealing with people who are rude and self-entitled and incredibly stupid, it changes you as a person the longer you're in it. Like, I wouldn't wish that type of job or work environment on my worst enemy. I wouldn't. It is a fucking nightmare. And I can be honest, it was part of the reason why, you know, my behavior was the way it was for a long time, how, you know, it just brought the asshole out of me a lot more. And I think Zach even called me once the hater of humans. Uh, One of my coworkers, Carolyn, used to call me a cranky fuck. Like, I was miserable during that time. Even though, you know, I had a lot of great moments in my life during that time too, I was miserable. If I wasn't on stage and I wasn't on the radio, at that time I was fucking miserable I really was and it, it, it drove me insane and that's why I ate a lot of fast food it's why I chugged a lot of soda and it's why I smoked a lot of cigarettes because those were the things I had to do to deal with my emotions and deal with my rage and anger and suppress it long enough to get through the day without completely mentally snapping and losing my fucking mind and now I don't feel that way anymore you know I mean it's not that I say I don't get angry because I do and the best part is now I have two jobs where I can express my fucking anger and you know as long as I don't badmouth the company or my coworkers or my boss no one's gonna really get upset with me and that was just you know something that I thought about recently when I was uh, sitting down to go over you know the best and the worst of 2021 and I realized this is the first year that I didn't have a retail job and I'm working jobs that I actually love. Now that being said, let's take a stroll down memory lane. Now I will say the year didn't start off very well for me because the first week in January, I get into a car accident. And basically what had happened was uh, I'm driving along, going to work, and I go to make a left turn to get onto this road. As I'm making the left turn, one of these cars dead stops to turn into this gas station. And I slam on the brakes. Now I didn't hit the car in front of me, But this car was taking forever because it's a big ass fucking truck and it's taking forever to get into this fucking BP gas station. So I try to go around the truck. As I'm going around the truck, I don't see the car that's flying down and I kind of tap the side of it like like side to side, like tap, like a hip check kind of thing. Uh, not intentionally, just that's what happened. So we pull over, we assess the damage. Um, there's nothing really like horrible on either side uh, except my door was a little, my door my door was a little fucked up. I got the worst of the wear. But anyway, police comes, takes a statement, all that stuff, and then eventually I gotta take the car uh, to a body shop to get it fixed. And I wound up taking it there in February because that was the only open appointment they had and I had, and I had a comedy show the week before so I knew I needed my car for that. So I took care of that, dropped the car off, um, and eventually got repaired. Uh, The only disadvantage was I didn't have a lot of money in my savings account at the time. And the reason for that was because I quit Lowe's in July. So my savings account wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. Because my original plan before I ended up leaving in July, because this head cashier was 
a horrible cunt and I just couldn't take the bullshit anymore. Um, my plan was to save up my savings account, get it real big and strong, and then in February of this year was when I was going to quit Lowe's. That's when I was going to quit, that's when I was going to leave, and that's when I was going to be okay. But um, obviously life dealt a different hand, so I had to obviously pay my deductible, which was not a lot for most people, but it was a lot for me. Um, then of course the car got fixed and everything, so that dealt a fatal blow uh, to my savings account uh, that up until a few months ago I did not think was going to recover, but um, thank God it did. So I was able to, you know, save up and eventually get it back there. My tax returns played a big role in that. So that was the first major thing that happened was me getting into a car accident in January. So yeah, that was uh pretty much the start of all the crazy shit that I would end up going through on that particular day. Then eventually we roll into February and I had one of my next uh, big comedy gigs that I did. Uh, this is the one I did before my uh, car went in to be repaired. And that is, I went to, I had a comedy night at Ferg's Pizza Bar in Stevenson, Alabama. Yes, I went to Ferg's Pizza Bar. Uh, they reached out to me about doing a show and we got all the money right, everything booked, everything was cool. Friday, I drove on, I got off work, headed on down there. And for the first time in a very long time, Booch had a bad set. I did. Um, I was. I went down there. Everything seemed cool. The wait staff was nice. Some people were coming up to me and talking. Other people I was trying to avoid because, as I mentioned before, when it comes to stand-up, I'm the type of person where I don't like to talk to people a lot before the show. I like to get my mind right, go over my set list, get ready to hit the stage, and do what I do. And then after the show, if anybody wants to talk to me, I'll hang out, talk to everybody, and that's how I'll roll. So as I'm doing all this and getting everything ready, I have my merch stand set up by the stage. I took care of all that because I was hoping to sell some t-shirts and DVDs after the show. And eventually, before I get on stage, this guy came up to me. And I had a really fucked up story. He said, he asked me if I ever heard of Sam Mountain. And I said, no, I have no idea what the fuck Sam Mountain is. This is my first time ever really being in Alabama. So I knew very little about Alabama. And he was telling me to make jokes about Sam Mountain. If I opened the show with that, the crowd could relate to me. I said, okay, what kind of jokes do you think I should tell? And he said, say they're all a bunch of inbreds. And I'm like, what are you, fucking nuts? I'm not about to do that shit. I'm not going to do that joke in Alabama. I want to live. I ain't getting chased out of here. I'll fucking die. So the guy walks away and I'm like, that was the dumbest conversation I ever had. But I had an idea in my head. If I went up on stage and I told the story pretty much the way I just told it to you guys right here. And maybe if I make fun of this guy and say he's fucking crazy, maybe I'll get a laugh from the audience. And I took a good look at this audience, and it was a fairly conservative audience. You know, there were a lot of uh, guys wearing Trump hats and, you know, a lot of good old boy accents. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm in the perfect place because I'm thinking, okay, this is a crowd that's ready to laugh. This is a crowd that's not going to get offended. They're not going to get butt hurt. They're not going to get triggered. They're going to have a sense of humor. Boy, was I fucking wrong. I learned a valuable lesson in Alabama, and that is, turns out, liberals aren't the only ones that can be butthurt snowflakes. Turns out, conservatives can be butthurt snowflakes, too. Because I went up there, and I told that story, and I'm making it very clear that I don't condone this story, and I wanted this crowd to hear it, so thought maybe they would laugh at the fact that this guy's trying to set me up for fucking failure. All they heard was Sam Mountain and inbreds, and thought that I was calling them inbred hicks, which I fucking wasn't at the time. I'll say that now because 
that was the most goddamn ridiculous crowd I'd ever been in front of. And I realized at that point, every stereotype I ever heard about Alabama was completely true. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of that bar fast enough. I couldn't. In fact, a- after my set, they wanted me to do karaoke. So I sang, I sang uh, Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. They were more entertained by the singing than they were by my jokes. And I didn't know how to take that. But anyway, I got my 300 bucks. Uh, one guy did talk to me after the show that enjoyed my set. Everybody, uh, One guy came up to me being all butthurt and offended. And the other guy told him to get the fuck out and leave me alone. And eventually, I just grabbed my stuff. I did this long walk of shame to my car, packed it up, got in my car, and drove the fuck out of Alabama as fast as I could. And I just gunned it for three hours back to my house. And of course, I did my Jehovah Witness joke, which normally kills. And people try to tell me, we take Jesus very seriously up here. I'm like, it's clearly a fucking joke, man. Grow the fuck up. I'm like, this this was, it was the worst comedy experience of my entire life. Not to the back. It was the second worst comedy experience of my entire life. The first one I'll probably talk about a little bit later. But anyway, so I get through that ordeal. And I and I remember saying five words that I never, ever thought I would say in the, in the business of comedy. But here it is. I survived and I got paid. Yeah, that's about six words, actually. <laughs> I was almost waiting for Ben Affleck to come up and say, that's six words. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was that crazy. I survived and I got paid. And I was able to say that. So whether or not uh, the pizza bar will ever book me again, probably not. I'm not in a rush to go back. (laughs) But God help me if they do. Maybe I'll go down there and make another appearance. Who knows? But uh, the guy gave me a three-star rating on Thumbtack. He said my material wasn't the funniest, but I had a really hard crowd to please. And I agree with the second part. So, And then after that, uh, there was a positive, though. As I said, there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Uh, Here was one of the big ups of the year for me. And that was, of course, the going live show yes i got to be part of a sketch comedy show that aired on youtube and there's and they're still trying to shop it around for a network deal i keep hoping there's going to be a season two and we're going to come back because i'm looking forward to it and basically uh how i got this gig was uh i got a message from my longtime friend uh and Boochcast alumni member jerry truman and he messaged me about doing the going live show. He said there was going to be an audition. So I go down there and I show up at the bar where they're holding the auditions. And I realize other than this one girl who I found out later was Laura Mamoon, I'm the only other white person in this room. Everybody else is black, which is fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is that I usually have a 50-50 shot of doing good whenever I'm in front of a black crowd. Because there's times where I've been in front of an all-black crowd and I've killed it. There's times where I'm in front of an all-black crowd and I have tanked and ate shit. And like I said before, I said I was going to be mentioning what the worst gig of my life was. 11 years ago, uh, I did a gig at Uptown Comedy Corner. Not the current one in Hapeville, but like the old one that was in Georgia Tech. Near Georgia Tech. And I got booed off the stage. It was the first and only time in my entire career as a stand-up that I got booed off a stage. To this day, it is the worst gig I've ever done in my life. No other feeling on stage has been worse than that. None. So I didn't know how I was going to do, but I had my strongest set that I put together. I'm looking at my set list. When they called my name, I went up on stage. I did my bit and I destroyed the room. Everybody in there was laughing on the floor. I was killing it. Because at this audition, you could do one of two things. You either did stand up 
Or if you had a little monologue or sketch you wanted to do, you could do that. Or you can do like characters and things like that. I chose to do stand-up because I didn't really have any characters to do at that time. And I wanted to go with my strongest bits. So I go out there and I crush it. Now that's the first round. The second round of auditions was we all went down to the studio in Decatur where we filmed the show. And what they did was they broke us into groups and we had to create our own sketch and act it out to see A, if we could do a sketch and B, how well we can interact with the other cast members. And in my group, it was me, Sharice, Ashley, Patricio, and Weightball. And what we did was we decided to reverse all the stereotypes and do an immigration sketch. So Patricio was the head of immigration, trying to get people in America. I was a Jewish immigrant trying to get a green card. Sharice played my wife, who was a militant black woman who was going to marry me to get the green card. Ashley played a stripper who I originally had asked to marry me to get a green card, but she was late and didn't show up, so I found Sharice at the last second. And Weightball was basically the narrator of the sketch. So we put this whole thing together, we acted it out, came up with lines, did everything, wrote it together, and then, boom, we killed it. And I ended up becoming a core cast member of the Going Live show. And we did six episodes. And I can honestly say it's some of the best work I've done in my career. Because I was in a room full of heavy hitters who are funny motherfuckers. And I knew I had to be on top of my game if I wanted to do well. And every sketch they put me in, I fucking crushed it. I think the only sketch I did bad was National Spades League. But I know the top two best ones that I did was Karen, she's Karen, and... Hood Exorcism were the two best that I did. They were they were my favorites. And uh, the Karen thing was great because uh, you know they wanted me to play Karen because uh, they wanted some. They want they asked me to do it because I remember uh, Chicago Chris called me up while I was at work. Actually, Jerry and I were filming a YouTube video back when Complain Time was still a thing, and he said, "Hey, Booch, I want to offer you the role of a lifetime." And at the time, we were, there were three sketches scheduled for the episode. There was She's Karen. There was First Forty Eight, which I was in with Flo So Amazing and Nico, who played uh, Takashi Six Nine, and also. Uh, Skinny was in there, and Tata Sharice was in there as well, bringing back her public defender gimmick, which I think is, her. that character is so amazing, and she is so talented when she does that. And so when they asked me, I'm going to do Role of a Lifetime, the other sketch that was on there was called Kamala Wears My Stimulus. And it was basically a political sketch. And the whole time I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to play Joe Biden. And I don't want to play Joe Biden. I don't want to be Joe Biden. Obviously, if he asked me to be Joe Biden, I would have done it. But in the back of my mind, I know I didn't want to because I did Joe Biden once on the regular guys and it didn't go well. So it's not a character I'm in a hurry to play again. But then he told me, I want to offer you the role of Karen. I thought about it and I figured, well, Jamie Foxx play Wanda. I'll play Karen. And, I, and it ended up being one of the best decisions I ever made because that Karen character was amazing. Like, I basically put it together by thinking to myself, okay, what's the most annoying type of woman on the planet? A valley girl. And I would do the voice for you guys right now, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. My voice is kind of fucked up right now. That's why I'm talking really low. For whatever reason, I can't do any high voices or hit any high notes or anything like that. I can only talk in this really low, really dry kind of voice that I have right now. So if you're wondering why my voice sounds like this, it's because it's kind of fucked up right now from a lot of uh, excessive coughing that I've been doing. Uh, it's nothing major. I don't have COVID, so don't fucking panic. But I have had a really bad cough, and it's caused my voice to get really crackly and fucked up. 
I've, I've had a hard time speaking. I had to take a bunch of cough drops just to do this show. So I'm trying to get through it. But that's why my voice sounds the way it does. And it's why I'm not going to be hitting any high notes or doing any impressions or funny voices on here. I'm just going to be talking. But the Karen sketch was great. But I will say the one sketch that I'm the, that I, I love the most and that I take great pride in is African-American studies. And basically in that sketch, uh, there was basically a, it was about the class, it was about a bunch of students in an African-American studies class where the teacher is like a militant black man with a teaching assistant that's also very militant. And they talk about how, like, you know, they say, they say, uh, native, they say the uh, Indians were the first people here, the Native Americans. It's like, no, black people were here first. Or they say that a white man invented the light bulb. No, 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 no. A black man invented the light bulb. It was black ingenuity. And then I'm this white kid that's late for class and they're all kind of laughing, making fun of me and I'm oblivious to it. And then they would ask me like, you know, who are the first people in America? And then they would all stare at me and I would go, uh, I believe that was the Native Americans, sir. And they all go, oh my God, these white folks be lying. Like they all go crazy. And then he asked me who invented the light bulb. They all stare at me and I go, uh, Thomas Edison. No, 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 wait. It was Humphrey Davy. No, wait. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, it was actually Nikola Tesla who came up with the technology for the light bulb. So I go with Nikola Tesla and they all freak out and then they chase me out of the classroom and uh, Laura comes out, yells, gets up and yells, stay out you white devil. Like it was just funny. It was a great sketch. But the reason I love that sketch so much is because if you get a chance to watch it in the future and you see me doing that sketch and nailing my part, I did all that shit on zero sleep. Zero sleep. Now you're probably asking yourselves, why did I not get any sleep the night before? Very good question. Well, that's going to lead to another big moment in my life. And that was because I was helping Buff Bagwell move into a new house. Now, before I get into that story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something really clear here on this show. In 2021, I helped Buff Bagwell move. Not once, not twice, but three fucking times. Usually, I help a friend move once every couple years. I help Buff move three times. Now, granted, I got paid all three times, but I had to help Buff move three times. The first was into a house in Marietta where he was living with Ronnie Gossett. The second house was when he left that house and moved into his parents' house. Then his niece set him up with a kick-ass house and we moved the stuff out of his parents' house and moved him into that house where he currently lives. So I helped Buff move three times total in 2021. But anyway, I had to help Buff move. What happened was I was at Jim and Nick's picking up Zach from work because Zach asked me to give him a ride from work. My phone rings and it's Ronnie Gossett. And it had been about, about a month since I had spoken to Ronnie at that time because a while back he had opened up a store, a mattress store in Marietta, and he asked me to come by and kind of see it and say hello. And I hung out there for a couple hours and then eventually I left. But he was showing me as they were getting things hooked up and installed and all that. So he called me and asked me to come help Buff move into the house. I said, well, I'm kind of busy. I'm picking up my buddy Zach right now. He said, well, if you bring him down, we'll feed and pay you guys because we really need the help. I said, okay, well, let me talk to him. So Zach gets out of work, gets in the car. I tell him about the, I tell him about the offer and he says, yes. So we drive over to the house in Marietta where they were staying at the time and we're supposed to be waiting on Buff to get there. Well, they get the U-Haul truck stuck in a roundabout because they were getting Buff stuff out of his parents' house and moving into that house. And his parents live in a house that's by a roundabout. So 
I had to, you know, sit there and wait because I got the car stuff. They had to get it towed out. So they ended up getting to the place around 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I say hi to Buff because I had not seen him in person since we were we done the Buff and Booch cast two years ago. We did speak on the phone a little bit in 2020 when the cameo incident happened where he tripped and fell on his face. And he cut that promo where he was drunk but also had, uh, you know, scars over his face from when he tripped and fell in his backyard. So I hadn't seen him in person in two years, but I hadn't spoke to him on the phone in about a year. So I say hello, how you doing, long time no see, all that. Zach asks a stupid question, Buff gives a smart ass answer, everything's cool. And then we eventually load everything into the house now when we got to the house it was midnight when we when i when i picked up zach from work and got there when we finally left that house it was 8 30 in the morning i had to be on set at 10 a.m so i had to haul ass to coming so i had to drive from marietta to coming to drop zach off at his house then i had to go from coming all the way to john's creek where i live run upstairs, shave, shower, get dressed, dry off, and then get dressed, hop in the car, and go from Johns Creek all the way to Decatur to film. Now, thankfully, almost everybody else was late to the set that day, so I wasn't holding up production, thank God. But when I got there, I was exhausted. And at first, I thought I was going to get a chance to take a nap because I knew we were filming our sketch later in the day. But then I found they changed the order and said, African American Studies, you're now going to be first. And I'm like, fuck me. So I go to the cooler and I grab every can of Pepsi in there and I shotgun these Pepsis. Now the reason there were so many Pepsis in there was because when we first all got together for the Going Live show, keep in mind it's episode 4 that this happened, the first thing they asked us was for our dietary requirements. The reason is because they were going to provide catering. So if you were a vegan or a vegetarian, they would go get vegan vegetarian options for you. If you didn't say anything, then you had to either eat whatever they got or take your ass somewhere else to go get food. So they asked me what my dietary requirements are and I jokingly said I don't really have any I jokingly said to Chicago Chris I said as long as you got Pepsi in the cooler I can eat just about anything and Chris started laughing. And because he's from Chicago, he also likes Pepsi. So he's like, my man. And I did that. And I was just joking around. But once I told him that, every single time we came to the set, there was Pepsi in a cooler for me. So I shotgun all these Pepsis trying to stay awake. Also, because I haven't slept, my eyes are red. And because we've been outside in April and the pollen count is high and I'm allergic to pollen, my whole face is fucking red. I look like I just smoked 12 bags of weed in one sitting. So I go to the makeup lady and I ask her, can you fix this? She says, let me see what I can do. So I sit in that chair for about 15, 20 minutes. She works her magic. I look fantastic. You wouldn't think there's anything wrong with me. And because I had the Pepsi, I had the energy going. So I cut a quick promo for, for, um, for Instagram to you know promo the fact that going live show is coming. And then I go in to the studio. We film the sketch, do a couple takes. Soon as we wrap up filming, once we're completely done, I go into the green room, I get sit on the couch, and I pass the fuck out. And I pretty much spent the next several hours asleep on that couch, dead ass asleep. It was a miracle I even woke up to go home. I was out. And then, of course, um, in addition to the going live show, obviously some other things happened. And one, I was moving Buff into that house in Marietta. Two things happened as a result of that move. The first was a good thing. The second was a bad thing. The first thing that happened was Buff and I got to talking. And like I said, we hadn't talked in a long time. And Buff came to me and asked me for a favor. Well, I thought it was a favor. Turned out he was offering me a job. 
He said uh, he had a falling out uh, with his manager. And this is, of course, the same manager who recruited me to do the Buff and Booch cast with him. He said, I need a new manager. And you're the only person that I trust right now. Would you be interested in being my manager? Now, the young kid in me was instantly wanting to say yes. As someone who grew up watching Buff Bagwell on TV and later becoming his friend, yes, I wanted to do it. But because I had so many trust issues going on, because I had been fucked over by so many people in the business, I had to really think about it for a minute. And I also had to make sure, A, was the money going to be worth it? And B, was I going to have time to do it? Was it going to interfere with other things that I want to do with my life and career? Now, personally, I can honestly say both those answers were the answers I was looking for. Yes, it was definitely worth the money because I get I make really good money working with Buff. And no, it didn't interfere with everything else because Buff allows me to have a life outside of him. So it ended up being a good decision in the long run. Currently, I'm glad I said yes. But at the time, I wasn't sure. So I asked all my friends, part the whole Boochcast team, and I got their thoughts and their opinions. Some people said yes. Some people said no. Elvis was the one who ultimately told me, Vinny, you need to do this. You would be perfect for this. And I don't even think you realize how good you would be. This is a great opportunity. You need to take it. And I, and I, I listened to Elvis. And I finally told Buff after a couple of weeks. He, I said yes. And Buff was shocked because he couldn't figure out why I would wait this long to make a decision on something that's obviously a good deal. And I told Buff, it's because my trust issues are at an all-time high right now that I have to take everything with a grain of salt. And he understood. He wasn't offended. And Buff knew that he had to, I, he had to earn my trust. And he has. He has completely earned my trust. So getting the chance to work with Buff has been awesome. Basically, my job has been to uh, manage his social media. I... You know, drive him to shows. I help him take care of his business affairs. I I help book gigs for him. You know, I get a percentage of what he makes. And, you know, there's a lot of great uh, perks that come with the job. And also, there's a lot of work involved. And at first... I didn't quite understand how to do the work, but once I learned and once I figured it out and once Buff and I got into a groove, everything started going well. Because at first, Buff and I were trying to figure out this is even going to work. We did have some issues in the beginning, but now currently we are running on all cylinders. Everything is smooth. Everything is great. And if there's a problem, we sit down and we solve it together. We are now a team and this is a team that is working. So this was a great, great moment in my career and of course it led to me meeting a lot of other people in the business going to a lot of other great events and of course you know there was also the incident with Alan Funk where we got into a shouting match at the Big D Flea Market um, and then of course there was going to Wrestlecade and you know getting you know recognized by the Good Brothers who are big fans of mine as much as I'm fans of theirs and you know getting the chance to meet so many people and interact with so many people and get respect from a lot of people in the business like it was an amazing wonderful wonderful feeling to have like I I am Buff Bagwell's fucking manager hell I got promoted to agent and I wear that like a badge of honor I fucking own it and I love it and I look forward to what we do together in 2022 I am so fucking happy and also as a side note when it comes to Wrestlecade if you're a wrestling fan you've never been to Wrestlecade you gotta go to that shit because it is outside of Wrestlemania the biggest event in wrestling it's the biggest event in indie wrestling 
It's fantastic. You get to meet some of the biggest names in wrestling outside of the WWE, and the matches are entertaining, the shows are entertaining, the panels are amazing. It is entertainment at its finest. You've got to see it. If you're a wrestling fan, you owe it to yourself to go to WrestleCade at least once. You'll be begging to go back. Lord knows I can't wait to go back later this year in November. I can't wait. I hope it's on the list. I really do. Now, of course, that was a good thing that happened. Then came the bad thing. And that bad thing was, in addition to being Buff's manager, I also ended up working in the mattress store. Now, I know that I said earlier that this is the first year that I didn't work retail. The reason I say that is because I don't count the mattress store. And the reason I don't count the mattress store is because I only worked there for about two months and there was so much drama and bullshit behind the scenes that I'm not going to go into that I try to block the memories of me ever being there. I'll just, and I'm not going to go into detail about it because it's just stuff I want to keep to myself, but um, I'll just say I didn't have any fun. It was a toxic environment and I'm glad to no longer be there and I'll leave it at that. But that was the one negative that came out of all of that. And, you know, originally when I was at the store, I was doing it as a favor to Buff because Buff thought it would help out the team all around. And when he saw that it was making me miserable, he told me, look, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And I told Buff, I said, look, if you still want me to be your manager, I will, but I don't want to do this. And he said, I still want you to be my manager and you don't have to do this. And I felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders after that. And like I said, I'm not going to go into any details. I'm I'm just going to say that the stress got to me. But the one thing I will say is that the drama at the mattress store also led to me no longer being part of UCW anymore either. Because I know I came back in 2020 to work the state fair, but that didn't mean that I was back permanently. That just meant that I came back for that one show, and I will say it was still a great show, but after everything that went down at the mattress store, I just didn't feel comfortable uh, being part of UCW either. So all those shows that you saw me promoting for UCW, I only promoted them because Buff was at the show. So I promoted it because I was going to be there, but I wasn't there doing commentary or ring announcing. I was just there to manage Buff buff and help him out so buff and i showed up together buff and i left together and the only thing i did was help buff that was it i wasn't there to do anything else but help buff and in the future going forward if you ever see me at a ucw show i am only there if buff is booked for the show if buff's not booked i'm not gonna be there Simple as that. If Buff's not there, I'm not there. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to go into any detail. I'm not going to badmouth anybody. I don't want to. I don't want any drama in my life. I'm trying to put it to bed. I'm just making this clear for the listeners that I know some people were concerned when they saw me at UCW shows and I wasn't working the show. I was only helping Buff. It's because I had a choice to make. I chose to be Buff's manager. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. But, um... Anyway, in addition to all that, I did have some other things that happened uh, this year as well. I had a second car accident that happened, <laughs> so this was uh, just my fucking luck. And basically what happened here was I was on my way to the new Uptown because uh, one of the members of the Going Live show, Kelly Kells, was headlining, and she was inviting all, a lot of us to come to the show. So I went to go see her because I liked Kelly. She and I got along somewhat. I wouldn't say we were the best of friends, but we were cool. So I went over to go see her, and... 
And while I was driving to the show, I was on MLK Drive and it was dark and it was raining. I had my headlights on and everything, but I was stuck in this middle lane. I was trying to find a gas station to go to so I could take a piss because I had to pee really bad. But then I saw this one gas station I was trying to pull into was way too fucking crowded. So I wasn't going to be able to make it in. So I just kept driving forward and hoping I could find a way to turn into. Well, all of a sudden, I see a median in the middle of the street. But because the median's so low to the ground, I couldn't see it when I turned even with my headlights on. So by the time I saw it, I hit the brakes. But I realized I wasn't going to stop in time and I was about to drive over this median. So I panicked and I just moved the car, trying to get out in the other lane. And just like I did with the guy back in January, I tapped the other car. Again, just a little tap. A little tappy. Tap, tap, taparoo. Cops over the damage everything. He's got to get his car fixed. I don't get my car fixed because there was not a lot of damage done to my car this time. So I didn't need to get it fixed. Plus, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to afford to get it fixed anyway. So I just let it go. Moved on. There was nothing to see there. But then another big moment happened. And that moment for me was I got to do stand-up again at a bachelor party. So I'm performing at a bachelor party. This guy books me. And basically they had a two-night event for this guy's brother who's getting married. And they did the strip club thing and all that. And they were going to culminate everything with a comedy night at a house that they had rented out on the lake in a town called Toomsboro, Georgia. So I tell them the price. It's an hour, $300 for an hour. because That's how much I charge. And they wanted an hour and a half. And I said, well, I'll have to bring an opener. So it'll cost you an extra hundred bucks. So if you're willing to pay 400, I'll give you a 90 minute show. He said, deal. So I try to figure out who can I get to open for me for this show. And I chose Laura Mamoon from the Going Live show. Why did I choose Laura? For two reasons. One, I wanted to return the favor to her because she had a couple film projects that she had been doing throughout the year and I got to help her with some of those film sets things so we were filming stuff together throughout the series I can't say what they are because I signed a bunch of non-disclosure agreements so all I can say is Laura and I have been doing a lot of filming together so I wanted to thank her by giving her an opportunity to stand up I also chose her because I knew Laura has a very funny eccentric personality and I knew that a bachelor party would be the perfect environment for her to showcase her comedy. And she was great. She wrote a 30 minute set and then after the, and then in addition to that, she wore a furry outfit that she put on outside the house and then she walks in in the furry outfit. I set everything up. We get ready to do the show. I introduce Laura. She comes on, starts dancing to some music and she strip teases with the furry outfit. But when she takes the furry outfit off, she's fully clothed underneath that's the comedic part and then she starts telling her jokes does a 30 minute set crushes it then after her 30 minutes she introduces me i go up on stage i do an hour and i kill it then we talk to everybody we hang out afterwards and then we hop in the car and drive home and then i slept in the car and then went to and then went to work so that was another crazy moment that happened to me this year. Uh, another cool thing was I got to go to the River City WrestleCon event. Uh, my dad did that because uh, my mom was going to visit my dad for the summer. And my dad didn't want my mom driving down to Jacksonville all by herself. So he said, hey, come on down with your mom. You can hang out with us for a night and then I'll fly you back Sunday. That way you're back home in time for work. I said, okay, thanks. So I get flown back. But before I did that, I go to the River City WrestleCon and there's a lot of, I get to meet some of my old friends. I saw Andrew Anderson there. I saw Kevin Sullivan there. Uh, but the big moment for me was meeting Lex Luger. Not just because I was a huge fan of Lex Luger as a kid, but also because if you listen to the Lex Luger interview that I posted a while back, you know I had that awkward moment with him where he got offended by some questions, by a question that I asked him. And I talked to Lex about it there and I wanted to apologize to him in person. 
because I felt really bad that he was offended. And Lex said, well, it must not have been that big a deal because honestly, dude, I don't remember. He remembered hearing my name. He remembered the interview, but he didn't remember the question. And I told him how happy I was to hear that. Like I got to make amends with Lex Luger. I got to bury the hatchet with the total package, which meant the world to me. It really did. So that was another big uh, moment for me. And then, of course, another big moment that I had as I scrolled through this calendar. You know, like I said, a lot of cool shit was uh, going down. And I will say was for Memorial Day weekend, I went to Jacksonville again. Only this time, it was me and my mom going down there to spend time with my dad. Because again, you know, I had, a la- I, had more- I had Labor Day weekend off and everything was cool. By this time, I had already left uh, the mattress store, so I had an opening. Uh, Buff and I weren't doing anything, and I got the blessing from him to be able to go down for the weekend. He said, go ahead, have fun. And I did. You know, we uh, we went to, uh, we, we walked around St. Augustine, and we did the- we went to the uh, Medieval Torture Museum, which if you go to my personal Instagram page, Booch365, you can see photos of that. I'll be posting more uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, I've been posting a lot lately, and I'll be doing that again. And also, we um, we binge-watched The Big Bang Theory together. Um, we got to meet some of my dad's neighbors at the time before he later left Jacksonville. And... The cool part was I got to go to WWE SmackDown when it was in Jacksonville. But not only did I go to SmackDown, here's the other cool part. I got to be a seat filler at a WWE show. Now, for those of you who don't know, here's how a seat filler works. You basically work for the WWE for one night. And how it works is they give you a ticket and you get to sit on the floor in the, in the chairs, in the floor seats. And you have an assigned seat that you are in and you sit there in the beginning. Then if at any point there are empty seats in the front row, you are required to get up and go to those seats. And you get up and you go over and you sit in that chair and you politely explain to them that you have to do that. And the reason you do that is to make sure none of the seats are empty for TV. They got to make sure the seats are filled on the front. And then once the person comes back from the bathroom or wherever they're at, then you can say, you know, get up and give them back their seat. Then if you see an empty seat around your area that's close to you, you sit in that. If not, you go back to your assigned seat. Now, even though I did get on the floor, I didn't get to fully enjoy the seat filler experience because the requirement is for the first hour of the show you have to stay in the arena you can't go anywhere after that first hour then you can go get something to eat or drink or whatever so after the first hour i was gonna go and get some t-shirts because my dad wanted a t-shirt and i saw they had this jacksonville 316 so i got that for my dad and for myself i got a roman reigns acknowledge me which you might have seen if you've uh watched the male soap opera moment you might have seen me in some of those shirts during some of those episodes so I do all that. Now, what I did was at the time, my phone battery was low. So I went over to the bar nearby, plugged my phone in and charged it. And the only merch stand available was upstairs and there was no escalator. So I had to go up the, I had to run up the stairs, get in line. I sat in this long ass fucking line. I finally get to the front. I wear the t-shirts. I, didn't, I put the card in and then it declines, which is bullshit because I knew I had money on my account because I had transferred money on there for the show. I knew I had enough money. Now I had exact change in my wallet. It was $70. And I said, can I just give you the, can I just give you this cash? You just give me the shirts. He says, we're only accepting cards right now. If you give us money, we have to cash it out. I'm like, motherfucker. So I had to leave the line. I said, can you hold these shirts for me? He said, yeah. I run all the way back downstairs, grab my phone, call the number. And I find out my card had been frozen because I was buying t-shirts in Jacksonville and I don't live in Jacksonville. So Wells Fargo thought somebody was fucking with my 
card, so they froze it, which I can't be too mad about because they're protecting my security, but at the same time, I'm missing the fucking show. So I get the card unfrozen. I run back up the stairs. By the way, there was a lady watching the door. She's laughing her ass off, so I'm going up the stairs and down the stairs and up the stairs and down the stairs. I'm getting worn the fuck out. I feel like I was back in high school because in wrestling, we used to do that shit in Colts Neck. So I run back up the stairs. I sit in the long ass line again, finally get to the front, pay for my shirts, go back downstairs. By the time I get back into the arena, the main event is starting. I missed everything else that happened during that second hour of that show. By the time I get there, Roman Reigns and Finn Balor are just about to start. So the good news is I missed the main event. The bad news is I got I got fucked out of the seat filler spot. And apparently the seat filler spot is something that you usually get sponsored to you. Like there are some hotels that get sponsored for that. Some businesses get those opportunities because they get to they get to say, hey, you're a proud sponsor of the show. You can promote yourself. Some people wear like shirts and stuff to promote their brand and everything. Um, I just had Booch 365 shit on for my thing. So, you know, it was pretty cool, you know, I, to get to be able to do that. You know, to be a seat filler and have that kind of fun, I thought was really cool. I'm hoping I get a chance to do it again someday, but I will say that was a fun and rewarding experience. And overall, that was pretty much uh, everything that happened in uh, 2021. That's the good, the bad, the crazy, the ugly. And all I can say is, despite the fact that there were a few bad moments, uh, 2021 was definitely a great year for me. Now, I will say at work, at HVMA, I mean, there were a few other things that changed. Uh, obviously, we got some new employees. Uh, a couple of them only were only temporary. Some of them are permanent. Um, also, my Wednesday wisdom and complain time eventually went away, which I'm a little sad about. But my boss did say in the future he wanted me to go back to making uh, YouTube videos down the road. But for now, I'm still doing a lot of other stuff, like managing accounts and things like that, which some of the jobs I don't mind doing. Some of them, I'm, I'm like, what the fuck? But either way, I still love my job, and it's still great. And some of the new coworkers we got have been really cool. You know, I haven't had an issue with any of them. So it's been it's been a lot of fun, you know. So 2021 was interesting. Uh, if you did ask me if I wanted to, if I would relive the year all over again, uh, the answer would be no. Because, even, you know, because I would not want to relive those bad moments again. But I am very confident that 2022 is going to be a hell of a great year. Because I know with HVMA... Things are going to go great. I know that with Buff, we got a lot of plans. He's already We've already got uh, gigs and events booked for 2022, and we got a lot of plans on the horizon that um, we're hoping to do that are going to really uh, elevate both of our careers. And I've got a few uh, things I'm going to be doing as well, a few projects I want to get back into. I know when it comes to the Boochcast here, my goal for 2022 is to have the team back on the same page you know, get things done easier and more on time and get everything, uh, you know, running on all cylinders again. I know I need to sit down with John and I'm hoping to bring him back to NXT soon. In fact, I know New Year's Evil is happening uh, tomorrow. At the time you're listening to this, is tomorrow. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to enjoy and do that show together and watch it together and recap and have a kick-ass time. I'm really looking forward to that. I also know you talked to John about the uh, D&D show and the hopes that... We can finally get a date, a date set for that and make it work. 
So there's a lot of Boochcast related stuff I want to do. And there's also a lot of other content creating and other stuff in my personal life that I need to get fixed as well. And I'm not going to say what they are because I don't want to get my hopes up. Because every time I say, I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and everything's going to be awesome, it ends up being a letdown. So instead of telling you guys what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you guys once everything's done. You'll get to see some really cool shit. But I'm looking forward to 2022. I'm excited for the new year and what it has in store because 2021 started off great, had a few rocky moments in the middle, but ended very strong. So... 2022 let's see what you got and that ladies and gentlemen will wrap up this week's episode of the Boochcast make sure you guys follow the Boochcast on Anchor Spotify Breaker and Google Podcast pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites also like us on Facebook go to facebook.com slash the Boochcast we have archived episodes of the show as well as great content uh, you can check out our holiday videos I got the New Year's Eve video is definitely up there uh, you can check that out it's gonna be it's awesome we also got the christmas video and a few other pieces of content uh the male soap opera moment is also up there if you want to hear our recap of survivor series and our predictions for day one and you can find out uh who was right who was wrong who was smart who was dumb take your pick Check it out there. It's on the Facebook page. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. I know I've been posting a lot of videos lately from the uh, AEW show in Duluth that Elvis, Desmond, and myself went to. Uh, I'm posting everything individually, one at a time. I took a lot of videos because I want them all to get equal chances to get likes and shares and everything. So I'm still posting them gradually, but trust me, once they get there, it's going to be awesome. So make sure you guys are following us on Instagram as I keep giving you updates. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we got great content out there, including Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the Ring, our archive watch parties, funny skits, holiday videos. All you got to do is hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified so you never miss another episode of Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the Ring because we got some new ones coming up, including the Dynamite Kid and the Plane Ride from Hell will be coming soon. I'm getting those set up. Also, we got the other ones that are going to be coming out once everybody gets their shit together and we can organize stuff. But we have other additional YouTube content that will be coming as well. So hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next one will be Saturday, January the 29th for the WWE Royal Rumble. We'll be live at 8 p.m. for the Rumble. And we're going to have a bootleg link for you guys to check out at 7 p.m. on our Twitter page an hour before the show starts. So what you do is get some dual monitors. Put the pay-per-view on one, put Twitch on the other. Or if you have a TV, get a laptop, and you can put one on there and one on the other, whatever you want to do. Turn the volume down on the pay-per-view, turn the volume up on Twitch, and you can follow along with us while we see what goes down at the Rumble. Also, that's where our live D&D show will be. Date coming soon. Also, we have uh, some gaming that we're going to be doing on the Twitch channel. That's going to be run by uh, Elvis Delinsky. We're still trying to figure out uh, when Elvis is going to do that. We've been talking about that a little bit, working some things out, and uh, eventually we're going to get everything on board. So make sure you guys uh, follow us on Twitch so you and be notified on when we go live. And, of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three different levels you can choose at, all with prizes coming soon. The first level you can donate at is for $0.99 per month. 
This level is for people who love the Boochcast but have a lot of bills to pay. Because the last thing we would ever ask our listeners to do is break the bank to support this show. We're not going to force you guys to sacrifice a payment to support this show. We know you guys are hardworking men and women out there. So 99 cents is something you can do to be like, hey, we want to help the show, but we don't want to go broke. That's how you do it. Give us 99 cents. That's all you got to do. The second level you can donate at is for $4.99 per month. That's right. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. That's right. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since I got sold to the Peacock, you've had no way to put that $9.99. So take that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network. And unlike the WWE, we listen to our fans and we do things for the fans. We give the people what they want. You can pay with a credit card or with GPay. And also, as a disclaimer, uh, when you consent to giving your donation, uh, you will immediately be paid and billed immediately once you agree to it. Now, if you don't cancel before the end of the first month, it will continue to bill you repeatedly until you cancel. Now, should you choose to cancel your monthly donation, you will not be entitled to a refund. All you will do is stop giving money. Now, instructions on how to cancel. There's a link that Anchor will provide to you so you can check it out. They also have a link to their privacy policy so you can understand how Anchor handles your personal data. I can tell you right now, we don't get access to any of your personal data. At best, we might get your first and last name. And all we're going to do with that is give you a shout out here on the Boochcast. That's about it. Other than that, we have no interest in stealing money from people. We're hardworking people here on the Boochcast. We make our own money. We take great pride in working hard for what we have. This donation thing is just for people who want to help us grow the show. Because that's what we do with the money that we raise here on the Boochcast. We put it back into the show. We use it to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests. We use it to pay our bills and also to take care of all the guys who work hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast successful. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they deserve to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And of course, if there's any money left over after we're done with all that, we use the remaining money to feed Zach ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.